Good evening, ladies. How's everyone feeling? We're okay? All right. This is such an important, this is such an important night and an important moment. And per usual, I want to open in prayer. Because we're we're about to go. I'm just going to have to prepare you. Well, we're about to enter. Very few can go without the courage necessary. I'll leave it at that. God of Abraham, to the God of Jacob, and to the God of Isaac, to the God of the generations, we look and lift our eyes to you in this very moment. I am under the impression, and I do not take this lightly, a Kairos moment that is about to unfold. And so I ask you, on behalf of all of my sisters here, and on behalf of myself, that you would lead the way so clearly, it would be without question that it is you. Abba Daddy, I ask that you help me Stay close as I unpack your word that brings sight to the blind, that brings hearing to the deaf, that brings movement to the lame, and can set any captive free. I come in holy terror, and with this anxious anticipation that this is not just a happenstance, but this is a moment. I pray that we be present. I pray that we be conscious. I pray that we be aware of the invisible activity of the Holy Spirit. And I come against every distraction right now. I come against every ill intent right now by the opposing force that tried with all they could to stop us from getting here to this moment. It's about to go down. Lord, you already see me. And I thank you for giving me permission to do something so special. I am no one and I am nothing without you. But I could do all things in you. Yes, Lord. Yeah. Thank you. Whew, here we go, Lord. For such a time as this. I'm ready. I'm ready. And so are they. It is in the name of the triune God that I pray these things. 
with both a shaky and steady hand. Behind the name of Jesus. I come in back of the name of Jesus. I crawl behind the name of Jesus. Cover us, Lord. We are going in. In your matchless name I pray. Amen. Amen. Are you ready? Yes. Yes. Then let's do this. <laughs> you know, Eleanor Roosevelt once said, women are like tea bags. You never know how strong they are until they get into hot water. And as we continue on with Esther's narrative, and as I attempt to close things up, I want to open with Esther chapter 4. And by the way, this is my favorite chapter. This is where we get a lot of those famous verses that have emerged. Esther 4. When Mordecai learned all of that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. It is at this point that Haman had convinced the king to issue the decree to annihilate the Jews. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of the sackcloth, but he would not accept them. I'm going to pause for just a second and talk about the sackcloth and the mourning and the ashes. It was Jewish custom that when there was a situation such as oppression and something that would separate them from their God, they went into the sackcloth, mourning, and weeping with ashes kind of dynamic. And the ashes represented death, right? From dust to dust, from ashes to ashes. And so this was a very weighty situation among God's people. Interestingly, in verse 4, she set clothes for him to put out instead of a sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Verse 5, then Esther summoned Hathik, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to attend her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathik went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay in the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text 
of the edict for their annihilation. Somebody say annihilation. Annihilation. Which had been published in Susa to show to Esther and explain to her. And he told them to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for the people. Hathik went back, verse 9, and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all of the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. Verse 12. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back the answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. Mm -hmm. And here are some of my favorite verses. For if you remain silent for but a time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a what? For such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, verse 16. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And here's the line. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. So much to break apart here. My heart is pounding. My heart is pounding, pounding, pounding. First and foremost, I watched very carefully Esther's behavior. I'm a behavior evaluator and analyzer for the characters that are in the Bible. And I study them. I watch what they say. I watch how they behave. I watch what they do. I watch what they don't do. And I try to make connections there. When you study the word of God, approach it like it's a living document. Because it is. Approach it like it's alive and living and active like the book of Hebrews tells us. And so I was watching Esther, right? Because this is a very pivotal moment for her. And when she receives the news, she does a couple of things. The first thing she does is she sends some clothes out for Mordecai so that he could change his clothes, probably changing his mindset and his posture so that he could just be comforted for a while. See, because Mordecai had always been that for her. And so I'm sure, under my assumption and discernment, that she wanted to exchange that favor. And then Mordecai approaches her, right? He was at the gate. Interestingly, have you noticed that Mordecai has been at the gate yep. for a couple of chapters now? Yeah. <laughs> That's not coincidence. That's not coincidence. I want to point all of these distinctive movements of these major characters, and I'm going to circle it back to the providence of God. And I want to remind you that still up to this point, God's name has never been mentioned. 
it would appear like God is completely silent and his people are left to fend for themselves. But oh, have we got it wrong. He is moving in the background. He is allowing things to shift and move. Mordecai approaches her with the news. She has no response. I like that. I like that she didn't have a response. Do you know why? Because it points to her humanity. That's why I said courage oftentimes isn't instantaneous, but it's gradual. It's slow moving. It happens little by little. See, Esther didn't have the courage that we admire yet. See, you might not have the courage that one could admire yet. But oh, it's coming. That courage that has the propensity and the audacity to shift things in the atmosphere, that's coming. And Esther has some pressure applied. And Mordecai leads on to say, don't think that you're going to escape this. Because at this point, the king did not know of her Jewish heritage. Come on, somebody. She's still undercover. So she has a decision to make, not just for the sake of her people, but for the sake of her own life. And she knew that this was a do or die moment. God is going to put you in a position where it's a do or die moment. And she backs up and she thinks through. And he says, if you do not do this, not only will you perish, but deliverance will come from another place. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be replaced. I don't know about you, but I want God to have his true intentions on the first time around. I don't know about you, but I want to get my assignment right the first go around. I don't know about you, but I don't want God to choose anyone else for the assignment that was fashioned and orchestrated for me. Because we did not go through all that we went through for nothing. All those tears that we've cried, all the brokenness that we've endured, all the trauma, all the transitions, all of our experiences lead us to the trajectory that is now. And if we want to get that all verse wrapped up in this, the Romans 8.28 promise, all things work for the what? If we want all of our things to work for the good, then we better get into position. Tell somebody next to you, get in position. Get in position. Get in position. I don't care where you're from. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care how old you are. Get in position. Get in position. Let's look at how Esther gets in position. I love what she says here. In verse 15, I want to focus on this because it is critical. It is critical to our destiny. Critical, critical, critical. If we don't get this right, if we don't get this piece right, if we don't get this piece right, we cannot say, if I perish, I perish. Because we're going to perish before we begin. Right. If we don't get this right. Esther then sent the reply and said, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast. Three days. Interesting, the numbers keep coming up, right? When did Jesus resurrect? Three days. Come on now, we can't even. Come on. 
for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night and day. And when this is done, then she knew she could feel the release. Right? right? Yeah. Please don't try any dangerous ex exploits for God without fasting and praying. Yeah. Because Jesus even said in the book of Matthew, only certain things can be cast out with what? Fasting and prayer. Don't even try it. Don't even try it. Just don't go there. And that's coming from me who's been pumping you up all weekend. Don't go there without fasting and without prayer. So let's talk a little bit about this. I want to unpack that because that's very, very important. Fasting is very important. Matthew chapter 17 verse 21 says, This kind can come out only by praying and fasting. He was talking about deliverance. Jewish tradition and observance calendar with prayer and fasting. The Jewish culture was rich with this. And there was different kinds of fasting and different kinds of prayers for mourning, revelation or prophecy, preparation for an important event, petitions and repentance. As I was preparing for this, I believe Erica asked me in January, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. and after I gave my crazy yes, as, as she was mentioning, like, girl, don't you want to pray? No, I, no, this is a yes. <laughs> this is a yes. Right away, I saw it in my mind's eye, in my spiritual lens. I'm like, yes. Yeah. Don't get nobody else. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. I don't want nobody to replace me on the first time around. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. right. And so I knew that I needed to fast. And there are a lot of spiritual disciplines that I love. You can have me sit in a corner and study God's word for hours. As a matter of fact, sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm late for, almost late for work because I linger. I got a lingering issue. I'm a teacher, I'm a student, I love it. I'm just like my mom, whom by the way is here today. So I wanted to acknowledge my mother. Mama bears in the house. And I'm always very braggadocious about my mother. She's getting her PhD in theology. And her dissertation is on the teaching methods of Jesus. Don't play with her. Don't, don't play with her. She's my soundboard. As I was getting ready for this weekend, I, I turned my Mac around. I said, Mom, what you think? Look at my notes. She said, well. Mia, make sure you go over the historical components. You need to give them context. Mom, I know this. <laughs> and so I knew that God was going to call me to a fast. See, here's the deal with me. I'm going to be real, right? I love sharing the gospel, but I don't love sharing or giving up my food. Right? <laughs> so I said, okay, Lord. It's cool, right? So I have this conversation with God inside my heart valves and in my conscience and I'm, and I'm having this back and forth with him about my fasting schedule and I, and I was sharing with the Lord in my heart I said okay then I'll just do like three days right because Esther did three days <laughs> right I'm like alright cool like I'll do three days I'll figure out a fasting schedule it's, it's, it's definitely cool <sighs> can you believe the three days was three months Wow. Every weekend, Saturday and Sunday, a liquid fast from morning to 3 p.m. I done lost my mind. <laughs> I almost lost it. 
You want to talk about being hangry? I won't go there. <laughs> but during this three-month fast, that's where the revelation came. That's where the revelation comes. Through prayer and through fasting and through sitting like a student in a classroom for you to receive instruction. There are only things that God will tell you if you posture yourself in a position of praying and fasting. Don't expect to know the mind, the heart, and the character of God without sitting and waiting for the download. Don't expect for that. You got to go deep. You got to chase. You got to press. You got to ask questions. Can someone bring a chair for me? So as a teacher, right? I think about this dynamic, this teacher-student dynamic, right? And I think about how some of my students have a hard time concentrating, okay? As entertaining and as charismatic as I am. They're like, we tired of you, Ms. G, sit down. Um, but I learned something in this teacher-student dynamic. I learned that the more the students are not in their chair to get seat time, the less they will be able to receive the teacher's instruction. Their absence quantifies their lack of knowledge. If you are not in your seat, when the teacher is in session, don't expect to get a profound revelation. And let me tell you something about prayer. Prayer is a conversation. We've heard that and we've learned that. And it is true. But can I argue the point that prayer is more about active listening than it is about speaking? What would it look like if we stopped coming with our petitions just for a moment and took our seat as the student and said, Lord, teach me? Yeah, that's good. That's good. I'm here. I'm here. And when the test comes, see, when my students are near finals, I have a study guide. And I have a game, a review game that I play. And the entire unit, I am aware of the information from beginning to end. They are not aware of my content. I am fully aware and in control of my content. I wrote it. And so I know where to bring my students from beginning to the middle and to the end. And I know how to assess their knowledge or lack thereof in the middle. I know what to reteach. I know what to reestablish. And I know when to move on when collectively the whole class is moving forward. And so when it comes time for the test, for the final, to test their knowledge and their understanding of everything that we went through that entire unit, they sit down and they take the test. And here's what a good teacher won't do, give you the answers. I love when students tell me, ma'am, Ms. G, what's the answer to number three? <laughs> Come on, <laughs> <and play. laughs> I'm like, Ozzy, I'm not telling you the answer to the test because I've already prepared you. It's already inside of you. Give me your best guess. 
God is not going to give you the answers to your test. He has already prepared you. But the question is, are we in class when it's in session? Because as a teacher, I have a problem with chronic absences, and I'm under the understanding that the greatest teacher has a problem with ours. I'm up your street again because, because it is very important. If there's anything that you can grasp from today's conversation, I want you to understand the importance of getting before God, praying and fasting, releasing of oneself, and getting God inside of you with the wisdom, with that exchange, so that when the test comes, you are more than prepared. And that's what Esther did. I love that she did that. I love that she said, this is an emergency. We got a 911 situation. This is an emergency. So before I go making moves and before I go into the presence of the king, let's back up. Somebody say, praying fast. Come on, say it, praying fast. We have got to get with God. And linger, stay there a while. Why do we rush? Do you know how beautiful and how deep and how far and how wide and how beautiful and sustainable and incredible is the presence of God? What can happen when we get to the feet? What can happen when we carve out time? And I'm talking isolated time. I'm all about talking to God as we walk and praying to him in the car and listening to music and worship. I get that. Our schedules are very busy. I'm asking you. If you're interested in going to another dimension, only if you're interested in going to the next level, only if you're interested in activating the anointing and the call and the destiny over your life, that's the prescription. It starts there. Through prayer, through fasting, through getting in God's presence, and it's his promise. Put a demand on God. Sometimes when I need some when I need some revelation, I put pressure on God. Why he puts pressure on me? I said, God, your word says in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10. Chapter 29, verse 14, that, that I will be found by you, saith the Lord. Your word says that if I draw near to you, then you will draw near to me. Your word says that if you be for me, then who can be against me? Your word says that I am wonderfully and fearfully made. Your word says that if I ask, then I shall receive. That if I knock, then the door shall be open unto me. To anyone who asks, they shall receive. So I'm asking. I'm right here, Lord. I'm right here. Put it to man. He promises. He promises. It's in his word. Have you put it to man on God lately? Let me ask another question. What does God get when he gets you? What does God get when he gets me? What does he get? In God's presence. In God's presence. We can only do mighty exploits if we but first check in with the commander. She checked in. I expounded on that because it was very important. You want the Lord to say, who's coming up from the wilderness? Leaning on her beloved. Song of Psalms, chapter 8, verse 5. 
applying the word or we will not be a threat. For it says in Acts chapter 4 verse 29, now consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. See, sometimes we just need to listen. I love what it says in the message, Exodus 14, Exodus 14 verse 14, God will fight the battle for you and you you keep your mouth shut. I'll say that again. Exodus 14, 14 in the message. God will fight the battle for you. And you, you keep your mouth shut. So there are critical moments in our spiritual journey that requires no active conversation. It is a posture of listening and it is a posture of learning that will enable us to sail the heights. That's what Esther did. Three ways to approach scripture. Investigate. Number one. Your search has to be investigatory. Don't just take the word at face value. Dig deep. Ask questions. It's called active reading. Right? Then I want you to imagine. Imagine the word. As we're thinking through the book of Esther, I had so many imaginary visions of what was taking place, of who was where and at what time. As you go into prayer and fasting for your positioning, then I want you to be inspired. Inspired by the word of God so that you can in turn inspire others. Very, very important. Let's see what happens. I'm going back to Esther. Because we got to close this thing up now, don't we? In verse 5, or in chapter 5, Esther makes her move. And it was very dangerous for Esther to make her move because as she had stated earlier, to go into the king's presence without a summons can be fatal. And so that's why she said, among other things, if I perish, I perish. Because she knew that this was a confrontation and a conversation that would require possibly her own life. And so she goes into the presence of the king. Esther approached. He gave the golden scepter, which is symbolic of authority, permission, and rule. Verse 3 of chapter 5. What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given to you. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king, together with Haman, come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. Bring Haman at once, the king said, so that we may do what Esther asked. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. As they were drinking wine, the king again asked Esther, Now what is your petition? It will be given to you. And what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Esther says in verse 7, My petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come but tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's question. Pause. Pause. Hold up. Wait a minute. Hold up. Are you thinking the same thing I'm thinking? Why twice? Why twice? What's happening here? She fasted? She prayed? 
She knew her position. She knew what she had to do. Why is she stalling? One of two explanations. Number one, either this is a strategy or she hesitated. She hesitated. And I love that she hesitated. Whether or not it was a strategy, the author does not disclose. I love that she hesitated. You want to know why? Because it showed her humanity. When God calls you to do risky things, it's in our humanity to, to hesitate. And that gave me permission to hesitate too when God calls me to a tall order. It gave me permission to kind of get my position, right? So Esther was kind of getting her position. Her courage didn't emerge right away. This is what I'm trying to tell you. Don't beat yourself up if you're not this courageous warrior overnight. Number one, it's a process. And number two, God is the one who's going to do it. That's good. Because courage is only needed in the face of great risk. Not in the realm of comfort and complacency. That just dropped in my spirit. Who's that for? Say it again. Say it again. Say it again. Say it again. Courage. Courage is only needed in the face of great risk and not in the realm of comfort and complacency. She hesitated. She hesitated. She hesitated. And if I'm honest, I appreciated that. Because she let me off the hook. She let me off the hook just for a short while. I said, whoo, Lord, you're giving her a chance to just work this out. Right? Because it's intimidating. Let's see what happens. Verse 9. Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits. But when Mordecai at the king's gate, there he goes at the king's gate, observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence. He was filled with rage. Yet again, see, Mordecai is just like raging this dude up. Mordecai don't give up. He's just there, right? And Haman is just beside himself talking about, I can't wait for this decree to be established for the annihilation of the Jews because he has had it out for the Jews for generations. Nevertheless, verse 10, Haman restrained himself and went home. So he calls his wife and he, and he, and he, and he talks about how he was invited to two banquets and it's just him and the king. And then his wife's talking about, well, you know, why don't we just set some poles up and then we could just kind of hang them and we can hang Mordecai. Look at verse 14. His wife, Zeresh, and all his friends said to him, have a pole set up, reach into a height of 50 cubits, and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. See, sometimes the enemy, when they're hot on our tracks, is actually setting themselves for their own trap. And that's why it says in Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight your battles. There's something about a steady hand and about a shut mouth. There's something about a steady hand and a shut mouth. And that's a strategy. And God used that strategy. I got to keep moving. I got to keep moving. Verse 
verse 1, Esther chapter 6. That night, I'll paraphrase, the king couldn't sleep. Not a coincidence. Somebody say, not a coincidence. Not a coincidence. I got to unpack this. Would you let me? Would you let me? Just stay with me. Just stay with me. Stay with me. That night, the king couldn't sleep. Interesting. And so he calls to one of his attendants and he says, why don't you give me the book of the Chronicles? See, interestingly, the Persians were very good at record keeping. Everything that happened within the Persian kingdom was recorded meticulously. That's not a coincidence either. And so he finds out that Mordecai had stopped an assassination with him. And he tells his officials, hmm, have we blessed Mordecai yet? <laughs> Have we honored him? Well, no, my king, we haven't. This is a lapse of time. This is a lapse of time that Mordecai had caught up to an assassination. Why? Because he went to the gate. Why? Because of his love for Esther. I'm going somewhere with this. You see, God will position people in the right time to hear the right information to get you to your destiny. So don't worry about how you're going to get there. I'm just asking you to have a steady hand, get in prayer, and shut your mouth. I say that to myself respectfully. Mom, I'm not being disrespectful to you. Just be quiet. Be silent. We talk too much. Don't talk yourself out of your seat. Don't talk yourself out of your position. Don't talk yourself out of your position. Just come in real slow, real quiet. Mordecai could have easily told Esther, hey man, the king hasn't blessed me yet. What's up with that? Like the king has not blessed me yet. Mordecai stayed silent too. And so he said, go at once. The king commanded Haman in verse 10, get the robe and the horse and do just as you suggested for Mordecai the Jew. Because Haman was asked, what should we do for someone who does this? And Haman thinking he's all cute. He's like, man, we should hook him up in a royal robe. We should take him around the town in a horse. The very man that he wants to hang at the pole, that's the man that he's going to have to honor. See, I don't worry about my enemies because God is going to graduate me and promote me eventually. I don't worry about them anymore. And they used to worry me. My opposition used to concern me. But I have come to the understanding that if God has this position for me, all I need to wait for that phone call, for that text, for that invitation, come on in. Your name was on our lips. I don't even worry anymore. Because God is the orchestrator of our opportunities. And I'm asking you to have the discernment to be able to see which one is for you. And by the way, don't show up to the wrong battle. Don't show up to the wrong assignment. That information will only come through. I have got to move. Esther 7. So the king and Haman went to the queen Esther's banquet. And as they were drinking wine on the second day, the king asked her again, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given to you. What is your request? Even up to half of the kingdom, I'm in chapter 7. The Queen Esther answered, if I have found favor with you, there it is. There's a favor. Somebody say favor. 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 
Mean girls don't get favor. But a girl full of love, compassion, power, and authority gets the favor. Your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. Here it is. And spare my people revealed. There is a time and a place to expose ourselves. And can I go further to share our story? She revealed herself and she included herself in this annihilation attempt. This is my request. Verse 4, for I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. And, and if we had merely been sold as a male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet. Because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. Verse 5, King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who is he? Where is he, the man who has dared to do such a thing? Verse 6, here's where the courage comes out. Where is she coming from? And the adversary and enemy, this vile Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. Caught up in my favorite line. Boom! Roasted. This king, Krispy Kreme roasted. The king got up in rage. Left his wine, because you know he's upset when he leaves his wine. He's hurting. <laughs> if you haven't noticed by now, he loves to get lit up, okay? And went out into the palace garden, but Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Now, how is it that Haman, the highest-ranking official, powerful from a legacy, has been reduced to his knees? See all those things that people said when they talked about you? All those embarrassing lies and shame and all of the conversations that perhaps your name was in? If God is plotting and planning something for your future, the opposition is eventually going to have to bow. We don't have to fight certain battles. We need only be still. But Esther knew when she had to speak up. And that's the Esther courage that we've been waiting for. This is the culmination. Verse 10, moving fast. So they impaled Haman on the pole. He had set up for Mordecai. Then the king's fury had subsided. In chapter 8, that same day, King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the estates of Haman. So not only did he get annihilated, but she gets his territory. Are you seeing this? Yes. And this is the book in the Bible where God's name is never mentioned, but I have never seen him so actively present in a book like this. I will circle back to the providence of God. If it pleases the king, she said in verse 5, and if he regards me with favor and thinks that it is the right thing to do, and if he is pleased with me, let an order be rewritten. I'm going to put rewritten, overruling the dispatches that Haman had made. Come on, ladies, we need to get to a position where we're writing decrees in the spirit. Oh, yes. I want to get to a position where I am changing the atmosphere concerning the battle that God has called me to battle. 
this is a good time to share my story. See, I wasn't always like this. <laughs> and it is these series of events that take place in our lives. That's what creates exactly who we eventually become. And we can't just extract the bad and keep the good because they all work together. When I was a little girl, my mom can testify, I had a really bad speech impediment. I could not speak. I know that. Mom was called down to the school because I was having great difficulty communicating my thoughts and ideas in class. I was growing very embarrassed and ashamed. And I stopped participating in classroom discussions and activities. And they said, Mom, she's going to need a speech therapist. She has a severe speech impediment, and if it progresses, it will be very difficult for her to articulate her thoughts. She is having great difficulty with a series of words. We need to get her in and get her in quickly. And during my therapy, I had turned to writing. And so my writing skills began to develop mm -hmm. and emerge. And I remember getting put in a gifted program for writing and poetry and fiction. There sparked a love for English that would eventually take me onto the realm of being an English teacher. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know that yet. I just got stuck with a label. Mm -hmm. I have a speech impediment. Kind of reminds me of Moses. Mm -hmm. Lord, why are you calling me? I cannot talk. Oh. I will bring an Aaron, I will rise up Aaron, and you will go to my to Pharaoh and you will say, let my people go. Mm -hmm. So as I'm going through my life with the speech impediment, right? And to this day, there are still words that I cannot articulate very well, so I do a switch, I do a, a word switch. I can say that word so that I don't hesitate on this word. <laughs> but the devil is a liar. Yes. And so I move on throughout my life, and let me just fast forward because it is quite a long story. The past nine years have been some of the most and the most traumatic nine years of my life. In 2009, I started my first teaching job in Pilsen Little Village in a gang-infested neighborhood sandwiched between the Tutu Boys and the Latin Kings. And as a rookie teacher, first getting a job on the first go around, I thought I had made it. But little did I know that it was a setup for me to go and be something more. And right away I was confronted with gang violence and murder and bullets and the rival gangs coming to the, to the building to throw bottles at us. And I was realizing right in that moment that I needed to be more than just a teacher. And instead of graduating my students, I started burying them to gun violence. Visiting them in the ICU as they are taking a very difficult one breath at a time. And then came the funerals. And I remember hugging a mother. And I remember looking into her eyes and saying, in the name of your dead son, my students, I will do something about this. And up to this day, I have never broken my promise. Mm -hmm. 
But it progressed, it progressed, and I realized that there was something wrong with me. Second label, second diagnosis. I realized that I started having nightmares and flashbacks. I was reacting strangely to loud sounds. Sirens began to irritate me. I felt hypervigilant, like someone was coming for me. And I went into my school psychologist's office and I said, Doc, there's something wrong with me. I gave him my symptoms. He said, Ms. G, it looks like you're struggling with post-traumatic stress disorder, with stress and anxiety. Label number two. I said, what? PTSD? Like the kind that the soldiers get when they come back from war and have flashbacks and they're, and they're looking at bodies blowing up and, well, have you gone to their funerals? Well, yes, I have. Have you visited them in the ICU, seeing them with bullet holes in their skin? Well, doc, yes, I have. I'm gonna need you to discontinue going to these funeral services and ICU visits if you're going to survive. And I spiraled. And I was barely able to hold it together. Barely able to teach. Barely able to function. I became moody and disoriented and I just, I just began to reduce myself into this shock and trauma that was vicarious. I was living through the trauma of my students and I was absorbing their situations. I took the psychologist's advice and I had to leave that school. But then God sends me to the South Side, Englewood, not sure. <laughs> Lord, <laughs> do you know where you just sent me? <laughs> the bullets kept flying. Lockdown. First year there, we lose a girl. She got shot in the back, wrong place, wrong time. I couldn't escape it. I couldn't escape it. I didn't sign up for this. I signed up to be a teacher. I didn't sign up to be a police officer, ceasefire, a parole officer. I didn't sign up for this. Label number two, post-traumatic stress disorder with anxiety. The panic attacks started happening. The anxiety episodes started happening. All the while I had been in ministry for, at that point, about 15 years. And my husband and I were on the road to planting our first church that we called The Room. And it was such a wonderful time. And during that time, we wanted to have a second baby. But I could not get pregnant. And I went into the doctor, label number three. You have secondary infertility, ma'am. You will never be able to conceive again. You have scar tissue that will make it impossible for you to conceive and give birth. I suggest you enjoy your son and go home and have a happy life unless you want to go through rigorous procedures, surgeries, and IVF. And there was something inside of me that wanted to give birth just one more time. Label number three. Do you see where I'm going with this? Yes. I shouldn't even be here. I shouldn't even be talking with such clarity. I shouldn't be here, I should have lost my mind. But this is what I'm saying. And so I go in for the treatment, and it doesn't work at first. 
then around 2013, all hell breaks loose. I'm at the height of my ministry. I'm traveling the world. I met the Aana. I found an orphanage that I wanted to sponsor. The, the, the message of social justice catapulted outside of me. I became an advocate, a teacher against gun violence. I was going somewhere. And God allowed it to get all shut down. And that was the beginning of the end of what I thought was the end for me. They sat my husband and I down to go and heal, and we went on sabbatical, and we went into professional counseling for the duration of 2014. I became, I went from a counselor to a counselee. And I was at my lowest point. And I'm telling you the pain that I felt, I can't even describe. It felt like a death, like I was mourning like I was grieving a death. But the providence of God, right? The providence of God. God isolated me. And I thought that he abandoned me, but he was actually hiding me. I thought that the enemy had won. I thought that it was over. I thought that I was damaged goods. And then light came forth. And on June 2nd, 2014, my daughter, Genesis Mariah, was born. I didn't get pregnant for years because I needed to be pregnant in that time of my crisis because right. I needed to survive that day. That's right. I went into such a deep state of depression I didn't eat or drink for days. Yeah. And because I knew that I had a baby inside of me, I knew that I needed to self-care. Mm. And I knew that I needed to make it out. You see how intentional God is? Yeah. And you would think that he was absent the whole time. You would think that he was absent, like, where is he? And I had that moment, like, what did I do? I just came back from a mission trip from another country, and now you're telling me, y'all, hell broke loose in, in my house, in my marriage, in my ministry, in my churches in shambles, losing relationships of 10, 15, 20 years? Where'd everybody go? Right. I'm out here all by myself putting pressure on my wounds, pregnant with a child. Lord, where are you? And what did I do to deserve this? That's the context in which I come this weekend. And I say that to say this. I know what it is to be broken and put back together. I know what it is to be removed, to be repositioned. I know what it is to lose everything and gain it right back. And I related to Esther, who lost everything. And then God began to position me. And he graduated me and brought me into my home district where I teach among my community, my heart's desire. I won the favor of my principal. He made me head over the English department sophomore corps. He made me the liaison for school safety. The doors just keep opening. And it started with my yes. It goes without saying that Esther saved the Jews. 
on the heels of her injury. You see, injury is not an excuse for your discharge. Injury is not an excuse for your disengagement of your calling. I also want to say that because I was isolated, because my church community and my budget of thousands of dollars that I used for good works was no more, God still put a demand on me to keep walking in my destiny. And out of that isolation and that broken place, a nonprofit emerged by the name of Project 214. In memory of my first classroom and I had a few people wild enough to partner with me that are here today I got Monica in the back and Sharice they're actually my board of directors where you at raise your hand come on Monica my girl right here in 2015 after I was recuperating and, and on the heels of my injury, I said, I can't take this anymore. I'm going to Costa Rica and I need school supplies. Whoever got school supplies, I need them. Project 214 is in honor of my first classroom, but we also serve education in crisis. And our focus are kids that are underprivileged. And we go to them and we arm them with school supplies and backpacks and we encourage them and throw back to school parties and share the gospel and feed them and love them. Because in my mind, the world is a global classroom and every student matters. Yes. And I did a solo mission by myself in 2015. I went to Costa Rica. And I met a friend out there. I'm just leave me to some people. And I came back and Monica looked at me. She's like, we need to 501c3 this. You need to give birth to this. I said, give birth to what? She's like, you got a baby inside of you. Let me help you give birth to this. And what I thought had been taken from me. What the enemy meant for bad. What did he do? God, turn it around for my good. And it just keeps happening. It just keeps happening. Can I just share the end? Can I just lead you to the end? I'm almost done. Are you still with me? Can you give me permission? I just want to give credit to God. I just want to brag on God. I just want to boast on God's faithfulness because he is so good and his love endures forever. And if he did it for me, he will do it for you. And so I'm asking you to trust him because he is worthy of our trust. Amen. I always had this thing for, for gun violence, right? Like I was telling you, my kids, my kids, they were getting gunned down and shot down like animals in the street. One day I would see them, the next day I wouldn't. I would have their student work and it would jack me up. Now I would have to keep moving. Their loved ones were getting shot up and killed. I'd be raising funds and dropping them off at their apartment in a dangerous neighborhood, lowering my window so that the rival gangs would know that I'm a girl, that I'm not a threat. So I always had this thing, this thing, this thing. Like January, I received this vision from God, and I see myself sliding onto this platform, and I see someone put a mic in my right hand, and I'm slipping and sliding because there's oil in my vision. And the crowd erupts in worship. Mm. 
And then I'm catapulted and I'm flying into my classroom and I'm flying under different terrains and, 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 and God gives me this vision that I'm out the cave. This was in January. What do I have in my hand? I got this bracelet. I've been wearing it all weekend. It might seem like just an ordinary bracelet, but this is not just an ordinary bracelet. This bracelet was given to me in 2013, right before all hell broke loose in my house, my life, and my marriage. And one of my friends on the team gave this bracelet to me, and guess what it says? Esther. What does it say? Esther. I promise you, I got this five years ago. And she looked at me and she said, as we were exchanging gifts, she gives me the bracelet. And Joe, she tells me, there's something about you and Esther. And I looked at her and I thought to myself, oh, that's so cool, right? Maybe because I'm leading the trip and I don't know, do I got some Esther qualities? That's wonderful, right? And I was kind of joking with her. She was, no, 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 no. Remember Esther? Wow. And she walked away. Wow. And as I went to go have coffee with Limari and Kate, as I was preparing, I looked in my jewelry box to find a bracelet and it was laying flat with the word Esther in front of me and I did, <laughs> He is the God of the setup. He is the God of the opportunity. He is the God of the second chance. See, he wasn't isolating me. He was hiding me. And it wasn't just for me. It was for you. I could have died back there and you never would have met me. But God. Yes. Our healing, our survival, and our deliverance. It's for the people on the earth. Yeah. I survived for you. Mm. And though I do not know all of you, I would do it all over again if that meant that you would be free. Mm. February 14th, 2018. I'm almost done. Take your time. Expelled student Nicholas Cruz walks into his high school with an assault weapon and murders 17 students and staff. You don't know how hard that hit me. When that happened, I promise you, I heard it as audible as my voice that you're hearing right now. I heard the Holy Spirit say, you were made for this. You're throwing your hat in this ring for such a time as this. To which I replied, I'll step in front of this bullet. Ends it by Paris. You're talking about a stuttering, PTSD, traumatized teacher preacher. You're talking about somebody that the first inclination is to dodge a bullet, not get in front. 
and a new extension emerged for Project 214 called TAG, Teachers Against Gun Violence. And we engaged the march for our lives. I have a video that I want to show you. that speaks to this very especially true today. The majority of those who died were children, beautiful little kids between the ages of five and 10 years old. They had their entire lives ahead of them. Birthdays, graduations, weddings, kids of their own. So our hearts are broken today for the parents and grandparents, sisters and brothers of these little children for the families of the adults who were lost. Every time I think about those kids, it gets me mad. All of us need to demand a Congress brave enough to stand up to the gun lobby's lives. All of us need to stand up and protect the citizens. All of us need to demand governors and legislators and businesses do their part to make our community safer. The yeas are 54, the nays are 46. The amendment is not agreed to. A few minutes ago, a minority in the United States Senate decided it wasn't worth it. They blocked common sense gun reforms, even while these families looked on from the Senate gallery.
I'm not asking you to love something. I'm asking you to hate something. I'm asking you to hate something so much that you would be willing to do something about it. On February 25th, just days later, I get a knock at my door. My door. A district representative came to my door looking for a vote. But little did she know that she knocked on the wrong door. <laughs> I gave her an earful about school shootings, about gun violence and gun reform and gun policy and what she was gonna do about it. That I'm a local teacher from the neighborhood and I'm asking her, what is she going to do about this? And I began to cry and I began to weep at my door. And she looked at me and she said, would you be part of my education committee? As I wiped my tears and looked up, I said, where do I sign? I'm talking about you and I changing policy. I'm talking about you and I invading the atmosphere and shifting things. I think of the providence of God. Of what I call the domino effect. I think of how the dominoes were stacked for Esther. She was an orphan Jew, exiled, first domino. Mordecai took her in. Second domino. The decree was issued. After Vashti resisted, after Mordecai resisted, third domino. Esther gets into position and she is prepared all on the heels of her pain and her traumatic experiences that created that domino effect. You see, sometimes dominoes need to be removed for the providence of God to be brought forth. Next domino. Haman wants to kill the Jews. Next domino. Esther comes in saves the day, next domino. And the Jews come in and conquer and kill thousands of their enemies before the book of Esther finishes. And here's the greatest domino of all. Esther's faithfulness was not just on the heels of her obedience, but do you know which Jew she saved that was of the utmost importance to you and I she saved Jesus <coughs> let that sink in she saved your Jesus and mine she preserved the lineage she secured his entrance and that 
is the providence of God. I'm going to put these dominoes over there. And they fall and make the domino effect. And I left some Sharpies over there. I'm going to put this over there. And I want each of you to take one. And I want you to remember this weekend. And I want you to put a word or a verse or whatever stood out to you this weekend. And I want you to know that your life is one big domino effect. And everything that you have endured and went through up to this point is it is so that God can orchestrate that domino effect. Embrace it. Embrace the pain. Endure the punch of the process. Come into the press of your purpose. What are you willing to die for? Because it says in Isaiah 61 verse 8, For I the Lord love justice. And here's the line, But I hate robbery and wrongdoing. God hates. He just doesn't love, but he hates. And I'm asking you to hate something. Enough to do something about it. And trust me when I say that he will go with you. If I could have this taken from me, I want to offer an opportunity for you to respond. She's going to take all your dominoes. I know she I have in my hand two jars. One is frankincense and one is myrrh. Does that sound familiar? Yes. yes. We're about to prepare you.